Hi friends, it's Andrea here with another episode of Anti-Diet Revolution. I think many of you know that I've been a registered dietitian for over 25 years. I studied at a Big Ten university, did an internship, and then I had to take a certification exam just to be a dietitian. Then through my years since then, I've taken various trainees, continuing education programs, I have a specialty certification in childhood and adolescent weight management and an advanced training in weight management. Okay, so all of that is not to brag, but my point is, is that I have all of that training and that's great, but the real lessons I've learned for weight management and helping people lose weight, I learned along the way, working with clients and working with people like you. And today I want to share some of those lessons with you because I think there's some really, really good, valuable lessons and I want to share my insights. I also want to make sure that you know about a free challenge that I am offering April 4th to April 7th. This is the Stop Overeating Challenge where you will learn to stop overeating your number one crave food. I'm super excited for this. We're going to be together for four days for about 15 to 20 minutes each day, and I'll walk you through the process of understanding why we overeat. I'll help you identify that number one food trigger or crave food, although I'm pretty sure that you could already identify that on your own. Understand that loving yourself now is critical in breaking the overeating cycle. We'll identify those destructive thoughts that feed into the overeating cycle and rewire those and teach you how to tap into your body's true hunger and fullness signals. So this challenge is chock full of information to kind of get you out of that cycle of overeating that number one trigger food. I'm going to give you some super easy exercises. They do not take a lot of time and you'll be able to implement those during the challenge right away. Please join me. The sign up for this challenge is in the show notes and I can't wait to see you there. Welcome to Anti-Diet Revolution the source for your weekly dose of non-dieting approach to weight loss and improved health. I'm Andrea Heyman, and I've been a registered dietitian for over 25 years specializing in weight management. I've seen countless women struggle in their quest to meet their weight loss and health goals. Over the years, I've learned that traditional diet culture strategies just don't work. I've found the keys to help you feed yourself, lose the weight, and meet your wellness goals without restrictive eating, menu plans, or missing out on your favorite foods. Through a non-diet approach, I'll provide mindset strategies, tips, tricks to achieve your healthiest body, and I'll share the stories, strategies, and successes to get your healthiest self. Interview guests will share their transformations from a traditional diet culture approach to food freedom. I'm on a mission to knock out diet culture and help you achieve the freedom, growth, improved health, and enhanced lifestyle that comes with adapting the anti-diet approach. Let's dive in. When I was a brand new dietitian and learning the ropes, of course, one of the things I had to learn was documenting in a medical chart. And the word that came to be used over and over and over back in the day was non-compliant. A patient was labeled non-compliant at the drop of a hat. If they were came into the hospital, if they were given a meal plan, and by their next visit, if that wasn't followed to a T, 
then we would document in their chart that they were non-compliant. I thought it was so judgmental. And I felt so much like we were saying to these clients and patients that, oh, well, you didn't do what I said, so that's your fault. And I really actually stopped using that word non-compliant before many of my other colleagues did because it bothered me because really we were labeling the majority of the patients as non-compliant. So I realized there must be something wrong with my strategies or something that I was doing or the information I was giving if 80% of my patients were non-compliant. You can imagine since then, I've done some examining of some of the most common tools that we as dietitians are taught and the strategies that we are told to give our clients. And I want to examine those tools and share the lessons I've learned. Some of those most used strategies for weight loss are meal plans, calorie counting, tracking food, restriction. I am sure that you all have used all of these, maybe just some of these, but probably all of these at some point or another in your weight loss journey. Let's go through each one of these. I want you to be able to understand when they can be helpful and when we need to kind of get away from them. And let me share my lessons. So first of all, when using meal plans, I'll tell you that people ask me all the time for a meal plan, but just me giving a meal plan over to someone is really not utilizing this tool in the best way. I believe that each person should have a general meal plan of their own that they're going to use. That's a good thing. However, I don't believe the meal plan should just come from a nutrition professional. It really should be the individual that is developing it in conjunction with the professional. But taking like a generic plan from a dietitian or a magazine or something you find on that line, it might work for a couple of days or perhaps weeks. But to maximize the effectiveness of this tool, it really has to take into account your preferences, your schedule, how much time you have to meal prep, your food budget, your skills in the kitchen. So many factors go into play when creating an effective meal plan. And you want an effective meal plan so that it can be implemented and used. And I do believe that you have to have a foot in the door, like a, a have part of that process be yourself. But keep in mind, it does not have to be hard and time consuming. It can be a, a very simple tool to give you some guidance. The next tool is that good old fashioned food journal or using a food tracker. And oh my gosh, it is so time consuming. But then again, clients often expect me to advise them to keep a food journal. And I'm all in for this tool for a short amount of time. If it's a tool that's used to generate more awareness of your habits, but as a long-term tool, no way. First of all, I would never advise a client of mine to do something that I know that I wouldn't do. I know that food tracking is a pain and time-consuming and can be fairly tricky as well. So I know I wouldn't do it. It's tricky sometimes to try to figure out if you ate like a combination food or a casserole or something homemade, it's hard to figure out how much you actually ate or 
what foods are actually like, which ingredients are actually in that food. And that can be really, really hard to track. I'll say that most people don't really use this to its full effectiveness. They might track their food on the days that they quote unquote ate well, or they had a good day, but they might skip the rest of the days. So it doesn't really become an accurate assessment in these cases. And the question is, why don't we track all of our days? Because the tool, the food journal, the food tracking, leaves people feeling bad about themselves. They feel like they failed if they don't meet the prescribed calories, the grams of fat, the grams of carbohydrate that the tracking app has determined. And those bad feelings keep us in that negative diet cycle. Makes us feel nervous about food and what we should and shouldn't eat. Tracking or using a food journal, like I said, is a good tool that can be used for raising awareness in the short term. If you want to know if you emotionally eat, what time of day you get overly hungry, things like that, identifying a general pattern, but not for use day in and day out for the long term. All right, assigning a calorie level. This is possibly my least favorite traditional diet tool out there. In a nutshell, don't follow a prescribed calorie level to achieve weight loss. That's kind of the upshot here. But calorie levels are calculated with general equations that take into account age, gender, physical activity levels, body size. They're estimates and estimates alone. And none of these predictive equations that we use can get an exact number for each individual. But we treat calorie recommendations like it's a magic tool. And oftentimes, that famous 1,200 calories seems to be the number that many of us are prescribed or that we follow. But actually, 1,200 is really low. It makes it hard to get all the nutrients you need in a day, all the vitamins, all the protein, all of that. And all too often, people think if they go even lower than that prescribed calorie level, then they can lose weight even faster. But many folks who reduce the calories below 1200 calorie mark, keep in mind that anything lower than that is classified as a very low calorie diet. And very low calorie diets should only be followed under very close medical supervision, which most people that reduce their calories to this level are not. They're not under close care. So what happens when we eat so little in these cases? Really, the body's metabolism slows down significantly. The body thinks it's being starved, essentially because it is. And so the metabolism slows down to a very slow rate, which is not what you want when you're trying to lose weight. Because this low-calorie diet can't be maintained long-term, you eventually resume eating a more typical amount of calories. However, the metabolism doesn't compensate right away. So you tend to gain weight very, very quickly because the metabolism is still thinking that it's in starvation mode. And if you cycle in and out of that starvation cycle a few times, you really jack up your metabolism. And more importantly, assigned calorie levels teach us to focus on that number instead of our hunger and fullness cues, instead of how different foods make us feel, whether it makes us feel more sluggish or more energetic, 
those clues are available to us. And those clues are the key to understanding our bodies and being able to easily feed ourselves in a healthy, nourishing way. When we focus on meeting a certain calorie level, we put our attention on an external guideline instead of those internal cues that we all have and we can all tap in and use as our best guide of how much food we need. Finally, good old restriction, whether it is restricting calories, as I said before, or restricting the type of food, whether it's don't eat carbs, don't eat sugar, all those types of things. That is the last diet tool that I want to talk about. So early in my career, I'd say I was within the first one to two years of being a dietitian. I was working in a hospital who was just diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And you can imagine this is an overwhelming diagnosis and there was a lot to cover. While I was in the room, in walked in the medical resident. He looked at me and said, is she telling you everything you can't eat? And I realized that this physician probably meant it as like a ha ha, this is so funny. But I looked at this doctor straight in the eyes and firmly said, no, I'm telling him what he can eat. So even way back then, I knew that focusing on the restriction and kind of that can't eat mentality was really unhelpful. Keep in mind that eating is not like other vices, like smoking, where you can live without smoking. Eating is different because you can't just stop eating. You have to eat every day, multiple times per day. You have to eat to live. You need the food to fuel your body. So to be overly restrictive makes most eating occasions challenging. So I'll give you an example. And I've given you this example before. If I tell you right now not to think about a pink elephant, I want you to try. Don't think about a pink elephant. You can't do it because you have to envision the pink elephant in order to not think of it. It's how the brain works. So now if I tell you, don't eat carbs, you have to think about the carbs and focus on the carbs in order to try to avoid them. Imagine going to grab something to eat and you're saying to yourself, no carbs, no carbs. You're actually making the carb craving stronger because that's what your brain is focusing on. And you are working against the brain. It's impossible or nearly impossible to keep this up long term. So expecting to restrict how we eat, when we eat, what we eat, assumes that there's really a right or a wrong way to eat. And understanding that there is no perfect day, that there's only food, there's only food, and that all foods fit in a healthy diet. That's the right way to do things. And that's the right way to achieve that lasting weight loss. So I hope you can see that most of those regular old diet tools are not super successful when used only in the traditional sense. We can use them with some modifications or simply appreciate that they're outdated and we've gotten better, more effective methods to help get that lasting weight loss. Until next time, take care. If you like this episode, please rate and leave a review. 
This is how we get the word out to others so they can be part of the anti-diet revolution. I read every review I receive and use that to push out more episodes that are helping you. Thanks for joining me today. Talk to you next week.